Good morning, all you ducks. This morning, it's wonderful to see you this morning on a rainy day. I'm going to make a deal with you. As long as it's raining and as long as there's thundering, I'm going to keep preaching. Anybody want to vote on that? No, you don't. Okay, I, I can see. We're glad you're here today. Thank you for your presence. Uh, I want to take a few seconds, and some of you are tired of looking at slides, but uh, I want to target young people. Uh, age 15 and up, I want to target men in particular and those who have not seen some of the highlights of the original survey because we're getting ready to do another survey. I said it in Bible class, but I want to go through just very quickly four or five slides to show you why it's important to get this data as we look to the future for what it means to be Lamar Avenue and be looking for a new preacher. So, just bear with me just a second here, and I will uh, walk through some things. First of all, this church has a wonderful history and a good reputation in this community. And when you took the survey, you said, let me, I ask you to give three things you appreciate about this church. So it comes out into a word cloud, and it looks something like this. Family atmosphere, crisis, fellowship, the larger the word, the more times they were mentioned of the 170 people that participated in the survey. The singing the willingness to help, the group-minded community, love, friendly, church, help people, strong, youth program acceptance, uh, emphasis on the Bible. Those are wonderful things. They put all of those answers you gave, the 170 people, listing three things, into a word cloud. And so let's look at who took the survey. This is for a targeted group this morning. And so you took the survey, and it translates that into a congregational score. And uh, this particular survey is a subset of a larger inventory. Now, you say, well, I get tired of surveys, and what do they say, and I don't need this data. I mean, come on, let's just find a preacher, get on with it, and get you out of here. I understand all of that, okay? But the reality is this. The data helps us have conversations that we need to have as a church. The data helps us have conversations that we need to have as a church. The conversations is what matters. The conversations about what we're seeing, the trending, the conversations about things. So it comes to an overall score. It's all calculated to score. Here's your score. The score is Lamar Avenue scored 42, which means an average level of wellness improvement is needed. So the next few months, the search team will start. You'll hear their, their names at the end of the service today. And then I'll be working with the search team as well as the elders. And what we'll be doing is taking the results of the next survey, which gets more specific about the areas where we need improvement so that you don't know who God may be calling as a preacher until you really know who you are as a church. So that's the, that's the formula. And so 230 people participated, 211 fully completed the survey, which means some questions you say, I don't know how to answer, I'll skip that one. That's fine. Some of you just said, I don't want to answer the one. That's fine. Obviously, it is what it is. And so here's the concern. Whoop, let's go back. Thank you, Joy. Female, 143 people, uh, women, 63% of those that took the survey were uh, female 37% males. So I'm targeting males. Gentlemen, we need your participation in the next survey, which you'll hear about in the next three to four weeks. It's 81 questions rather than 20. It will take you a little longer, but it will be very 
helpful in helping us determine what we need to work on, okay? Those who have already seen this are saying, get on with the preaching, let's cut this out. So we had 37% male participation, 70 and older. Uh, well, that stat's not there, I don't know, but it was a high percentage. Let's just say, let's go to the next slide. I, I don't want to. Time and involvement in this church. Go ahead and put those up, Joy. Years a member, uh, 44% of the people were 20 years a member here or more, 10 to 19 years, 24%. So if you put those two together, 68% of you have been here 10 years and more, and 99% of those that took it were from Sunday worship, okay? So Sunday class, 63%. Here are two implications we talked about in class. Number one, there's long-term connections and stability and support in this church. Praise God. Number two, because some of you have been here a long time, you can't really see this church. You say, well, that's why we can. We know this church. Sometimes the longer you're in a, a, a part of a team, a church, a company, an organization, time in erodes awareness of. One of my favorite illustrations of that is every person that entered our house for a while saw this picture on the wall just inside our entry, entry and it was crooked. Now, I'm a fanatic about things being even, and I'm a neat freak in lots of ways. But for some reason, I never saw, because I go through the garage, get in my car. I don't enter my front door, but people would enter the front door, and, and I'd see them staring at that, and I'd think, oh, the side, it's crooked. So we'd do this. The next storm comes through, it'd get crooked again, but I'd ignore it. I live with a crooked picture, and I'm a fanatic about that stuff, for years. I never saw the crooked picture in the entryway by the front door. My wife didn't see it. We go through the kitchen, we go out. Because we lived there so long, we just got used to the picture being there, and we ignored it. You understand what I'm saying? But people that came in said, why is that picture crooked? And I finally got the saying is, we did it on purpose so you would notice. We didn't, but time in, where's rodents up? Let's go to the next one. So one of the things we're doing is bring some things to your attention. Next slide. Here's some implications. Number one, if nothing changes in this church, what do you look like 5, 10, 15 years from now? That's the conversation you need to be talking about. If nothing changes in this church, what do we look like 5 to 10 to 15, 20 years from now? aging church relationships generally the longer you're a christian the more non-christian the less relationships you have with those who are not christian that means implication you have to start praying now for god to bring people into your life to talk to spiritually you have to change some of your habits some of the things you do even as a church some of the patterns well, you know, four or five of our families, we've been doing RV work. We've been doing RV stuff for years together. Every summer we do RV trips or spring. Oh, no, we go to the, eat to the same people every Sunday at the same restaurant, on and on. Well, is it that bad? Is that bad, preacher? No, it's not bad. That's good. It's bad when that's all you ever do and no one else is invited and no one else is included and you don't think in terms of what God might be calling me to do to bring somebody new in, to invite somebody, to show love God and love neighbor. Let's go to the next slide. And so here's your mission. Regarding your mission, 65% believe the church is fairly to largely effective, while 28% say very effective. Now, 
This is a point of conversation in your church. What does it mean to be on mission with God? Sometimes our standards for church are very, very low. How many did we have on Sunday and what was the contribution? Maybe the metrics for church needs to be how many people are we including on mission with God and in ministry to others? That's a different metric. And we'll talk about that in coming weeks. So, two big implications. One is, this next survey, we need higher participation from which group? Men. Second, higher participation from younger families age. Younger families, even 15-year-olds and up, can participate in the survey. It's online. We also make the paper version, and that will be helpful. What am I doing wrong? Did I do something wrong? Yeah, don't answer that question, please. Uh, anyway, let's pray, and then we'll preach until the thunders quits, all right? God, thank you for the privilege of being a part of the community of faith called church. We pray, Father, that our church may reflect Jesus Christ in all that we say and in all that we do on the mission we're part of and what we're about here. Help us all grow in Christ. Help us mature. Help us grow up. Help us engage you in our daily life. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live. Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Philippians 1, 21. We can take the slide down. Philippians 1, 21. You can go black if you want. That'd be great. Uh, and I'll get to those in a minute. Philippians 1, 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 3, verse 10 that was read earlier. I want to know Christ. And the power of his rising. Share in his suffering. And become like him in his death. So that somehow I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. All those passages say basically the same thing. The focus is Christ. The focus is maturing like Christ. The focus is being Christ. The sign on the outside of this building says Lamar Avenue what? I ask you, is it an institutional slogan or is it a description of who we are? You make the choice. Do we treat the church as an institutional entity in the community like Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Assembly or Covenant Church or this church or this church? No, it's not where we're located it's who we are last week i talked to you about the baptized life that the baptized life and the passages on baptism all took in their context we're dealing with different things that have to do with life and the gospel of john says eternal life begins now 
When you confessed Christ and you were baptized into Christ, you began eternal life. You're living eternal life right now. And that, that changes the way you get up on Monday morning. It changes the crisis that comes in your life. It changes the suffering you have to go through. Yesterday I did a funeral for a good friend. He had been 93 years old today. He's a dairy farmer, hardworking man all his life, honest man, straight shooter, always telling you very directly, he's a good man named Morris Skinner. And Morris Skinner was, uh, I never heard him really lead a public prayer because every time he tried, he cried. Morris Skinner was a man who worked long and hard, working cows, milking cows. His wife was beside him all day long. Doing that funeral causes me to think, what's coming through in my life? I've known Morris Skinner 27 years. But I've known him all my life. He was my grandfather. Not by blood. He believed in hard work. He believed in being fair and honest to people. He believed in direct, saying what you really think and really believe. He believed that you ought to treat people with respect and dignity. He couldn't stand lying. Does that sound familiar? If, his, if someone's ox was in the ditch, he helped them get their ox out of the ditch, literally. My grandfather was that kind of man as a farmer in southwest Oklahoma, had an eighth grade education. He used to tell me, son... Just because you sit in a hen house doesn't make you a hen. Just because you sit in a hen house doesn't make you a hen. Just because you enter these doors saying Church of Christ doesn't make you the Church of Jesus Christ. It is a dynamic, organic description of who is our focus, who is our life, who is our salvation, who guides us, who, where our behavior motiva is motivated from, we are the church of Christ, not as an institutional religious slogan in Paris, Texas, but as a dynamic, organic, life-breathing, focused people in Christ. Amen to that? We lose sight of that sometime, don't we? And we use the phrase, well, are you a member of the church of Christ? Where in the world is that biblically? Where is it? You don't hear Paul talking like that. The only time he uses the word church members is in Romans chapter 12 when he talks about members of one another. We use the phrase church member like it's part of the country club. I don't get very many amens to that, do I? We use church member like when we give our contribution, we're paying our dues like at the country club. Church member, where is it in the Bible? Where is it? He talks about you are members of one another, Romans 12. You are a member of the body of Christ. The Lord adds to the church day, daily those who are being saved, Acts 2, 47. The emphasis in the New Testament when it talks about church is life-giving, and it's connected, and it's community. It is not simply, I come, sit, listen, and leave, and I did what God wants me to do. Oh, no, no, no. It's organic. That's why we have small groups. That's why we need to be connected in small groups. That's why we need to be growing in Christ. That's why we need to be sharing our life. Oh, that's sharing your life stuff. I'm not into all that touchy-feely church stuff. 
Ah, just stay in my head all the time and give me what I need. Let me get out and get on with my life. Where did you get that from? You got it from your culture or from your raising or from your daddy or granddaddy. You didn't get it from the Bible. Even the Apostle Paul, who was trained at the, it, by Gamaliel, was a very intelligent man, Hebrew among Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, all that stuff, educated, very smart man. I can't think of anybody in the New Testament except Jesus that was more vulnerable with his life and more open with his heart than the Apostle Paul was. And what drove him is this. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power that's in his rising. And I want to share in his su suffering. And I want to become like him in his death. What drove Paul is not an institutional understanding of church or just simply being a good person like anybody in Rotary or Alliance Club or Kiwanis is or being a part of a women's group in town. What drove Paul was not the cultural understandings. What drove Paul was the person, the life, the work, the atonement, the redemption, the, the sanctification, the salvation of Jesus Christ in his life. It's the road to Damascus. So when he talks to the early Christians in Thessalonica, he says this. I'm delighted to share the gospel with you. I'm delighted to share the gospel with you. I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. His, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, it is the rhythm of my soul. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, but he says, I not only want to share, my, share the gospel, but I want to share my very own life with you. That means vulnerability. That means openness. That means transparency. That means connection. Because you've become so dear to me. So dear to me. Paul invested himself. Here's a man that's highly intelligent, inspired by God, gave us most of the New Testament, his writings to churches. Here is a man that was vulnerable and open and transparent with his life. He says, I count all things, let's just call it what it is in Paris. I call all things manure. Everything in my life that I valued, my education, my background, my training, everything I value, I count it like dung. I count it like manure. Now, we understand that in Paris, don't we? I've seen some boots that needed to be cleaned up before they came in here today. But anyway, I count all things dung, manure. For the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What drove Paul was Christ. What drove Paul was Christ. My friend Morris, he wasn't always driven by Christ. His wife was one of the most godly, sweet, kind, hospitable women I've ever known. And she had come to church for years by herself. Because her husband's mother went to another religious group and every time he visited that church he felt like he was being told that his mother was lost. And he had no desire to be a part of that. Eventually though, we sat down and had a little talk and I said, Morris, last time I checked, it's God who saves. It's God's grace who saves. 
It's Jesus Christ who saves. It's God that does the judging. I'm not saying any of that. I'm letting God do that. He said, I can live with that. You want some pie? I said, can I have a glass of milk? He said, you sure can. We became really good friends. And what kept him away was somebody saying, our institution's better than your institution, and our understanding of things is better than your understanding, and as long as you come along with my understanding, you can be part of us. That's what kept him away. An institutional, sterile, judgmental approach rather than treating him as a human being. And what drove him was, my mother was one of the most godly people in the world. Those people up there at that church, preacher, they think she's in hell. I said, has anybody ever told you that? Pretty close. The last part of his life, though, what changed him was his loving, sweet wife who continued to hand him wrenches and milk cows with him and ride that tractor with him and love him and care for him and talk about Christ. And when he'd wake up in the mornings, she's drinking her coffee, reading scripture, and he's hearing her pray. That's what influenced that man, my friend Morris, who we buried yesterday. You see the difference? One is an institution that we're proud of and we're going to promote, and we got it together, and you don't. The other is, here's the cross of Jesus Christ. Where's the cross in this church? Just be like Grady, hide the cross. All right? It's the cross of Christ. And that cross shapes us. And being a Christian is a skill. And being a Christian is a habit. And being a Christian is an attitude. And being a Christian is to be so focused like Christ that no matter what comes in my life, I want to respond like Christ because I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power that's in His rising. And I want to share in His suffering and become like Him in His death. You see, some of us have confused being a part of the institution that God's interested in us being happy. God's interested in us in being holy. And that's not always happy. I like to tell our folks, when I preached in Mansfield and Irving, I used to say, my motto is, I will be Christian. No matter how I feel, or no, no matter what I, how I'm treated, I'm going to be Christian. Several years ago, there was a man that I liked him, but he didn't like my style of preaching. He didn't like my vulnerability. He didn't like, and he, would, he was pretty vocal about it with a couple of the elders. He had sat in the back. So he uh, had a major surgery. Big surgery, didn't know if he was going to live or not. I showed up at the hospital to pray with him before surgery. He was a little surprised that the guy he'd been criticizing for so long would come to the hospital. Now, let's set, that's the spiritual thing I did. Let me share the carnal side. I didn't want to. 
I didn't want to face him. I didn't want, I'd pray for him at a distance, and that'd be just fine. I didn't want to go to that hospital. I woke up that morning at 4.30. Had, he had an early surgery at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. I said, my wife says, what are you doing up? You're never up this early. I'm going to the hospital. Well, who's in, so-and-so's having surgery. You mean the guy that's always on your case? The guy that won't give you the time of day? The guy that's always talking about the elders need to replace the preacher? I said, yep. And he knows you know all this. I said, oh, yeah, he knows. You're going to the hospital. Yes, ma'am, I am. I don't want to. I don't want to. I walked into the room. He was in the pre-op. Nurse walked in, nurse walked out. His wife had gone to coffee. She comes in. Her eyes get as big as a silver dollar, like, uh uh-oh. I hugged her. She said, come here. She said, I can't tell you how much it means to be, for you to be here. My husband's had a struggle all his life about some things. It's really not about you, even though I know he's been pretty critical of you. We've had issues in our relationship a long time. I am so honored that you came. And I believe he's going to be touched by this. So just go in, pray briefly, and thank you for coming. I walked in, put my hand on the shoulder, called him by name, said, I'm praying for you, I want the best for you. And he looked at me, didn't say a word, just nodded. About three weeks later, I get a note in the mail. And all it said was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I signed his name. That's it. Never heard another word. He may have still felt that way. But if I woke up that morning saying, oh, the elders can take care of him, he doesn't like me. And truthfully, I didn't like him all that much. That's the carnal side. But over here is the cross, and i got to get past through the cross to say, I will be Christian. You hear what I'm saying, church? I'm going to act better than I feel. Why? Because I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power that's in His rising, His resurrection. And I want to share in His sufferings. And I want to be conformed to His death. I don't want to be conformed to a culture of entitlement. I'm a member of the church, therefore I deserve. Where did we get that? It's not from God. I'm a member of the church. It's about me and my preferences and what I want and what I like, and they better and on and on and on. Where did we get that? It doesn't come from this. And every time Paul talked about growth, He said it's centered around the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you be a cross-shaped person or not is the question. So the baptized life is not about entitlement. It's not about narcissism. Everybody knows and studies Narcissus. That's the guy that was so taken by himself that he looked in the water and he drowned because he is consumed by himself. 
staring at his face and drowns. Narcissism, narcissism is where we get the word. It's all about self or selfishness. Or here's the biggie that's a big struggle in my life, sarcasm. Sarcasm is a cultural value that destroys relationships. It destroys community. It destroys friendships. Guess who uses sarcasm really, really well in their daily life? I happen to be walking to a group of people who are no sarcasm. Teenagers are so good at being what? Say it. Say it. Say it loud. I can't hear you. So I can't hear you. Sarcastic. Is that sarcastic? No. When I worked with young people, I was right in there with them, the put-downs, and I'm going to put this down. When I worked with young people, it was sarcasm, 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 and sarcasm is a way to cover up our pain and make us look better, and it's always at somebody else's expense, and we do it. It's part of our culture. You hear it in humor on television. You see, hear it in music. It's everywhere. It's a cultural value in our culture. It is absolutely as far away from the cross as I can be, and you can be, and I have to work hard at not being sarcastic. It's a way to cover up pain. It's a way to deal with reality. And we have to check it in our lives. So we've got entitlement, narcissism, sarcasm, the ladder mentality, climb on whoever you have to to get to the top. None of those cultural values are part of this cross. And Paul deals with all of them. In almost every letter he deals with, he deals with it constantly for a church to grow up, to grow up. So here we are. You can live on this side. I want what I want when I want it, and church is about me. I know how I like church, and I'm going to have it that way or else. Or you can live on this side. Lord, I've got to learn with people who are different from me. I've got to live with people who are different. I've got to live with people who don't see it the same way. I'm going to be Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ because I want to know him. And I want to know power in my life that comes from resurrection life. And I want to be able to get through suffering the way he suffered. And I want to be conformed to his death. Which, by the way, the communion thoughts today echoed death. That the language of discipleship in the New Testament of the baptized life and knowing Christ is always about dying to self. Always about dying to self. Lastly, I have visited people in the hospital and it never changed them and they were still hypercritical and you could never please them. I'm going to let God deal with it, but if they're sitting in that pew, I've got to be Christian. I've got to be Christian. I can't lean in over here in my carnal side, my fleshly side. And so there's this constant battle in my mind. Do I lean toward Christ or do I just give in to myself saying, you know, nobody's perfect? Not even this. This morning we invite you to the baptized life. It's still raining, a little bit of thunder, 
and I'm quitting. I want it noted. We give you an opportunity to participate in the baptized life. Here's what I encourage you to do as we stand. And I know this is not a tradition at Lamar Avenue. There's a second part to that. I don't really care. I'd like for you to go to somebody while we sing. Kyle and I, we'll, we'll keep the singing going. I'd like for you to go to somebody and affirm your love for them. I'd like for you to get across, out of these pews and encourage them. If you're limited in mobility, maybe it's somebody behind you. Maybe somebody. I'd like for you to get up and do something this morning. I want you to go. I'm begging you, go and practice what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, whether you feel like it today or not, and watch what God does with that blessing. If you need to be immersed today, don't wait. Do it. Let's go to the cross. Let's stand up.